Chapter Twelve of Esther Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Esther Reed by Pansy. Chapter Twelve. Three People. As it was, she hesitated and thought not of Esther. Her life had not been such as to be counted for a moment. Of her mother. Well, Mrs. Reed's religion had been of a negative rather than of a positive sort, at least outwardly. She never spoke much of these matters, and Sadie positively did not know whether she ever prayed or not. How was she to decide whether the gentle, patient life was the outgrowth of religion in her heart, or whether it was a natural sweetness of disposition and tenderness of feeling? Then there was Dr. Van Anden, an hour ago she would surely have said him, but now it was impossible. So as the silence and the peculiar smile on Dr. Douglas's face grew uncomfortable, she answered hurriedly, I don't know many Christian people, doctor, and then, more truthfully, but I don't consider those with whom I am acquainted in any degree remarkable. Yet at the same time I don't choose to set down the entire Christian world as a company of miserable hypocrites. Not at all, the doctor answered quickly. I assure you I have many friends among that class of people whom I respect and esteem. But since you have pressed me to continue this conversation, I must frankly confess to you that my esteem is not based on the fact that they are called Christians. I, but, Miss Reed, this is entirely unlike and beneath me to interfere with and shake your innocent, trusting faith. I would not do it for the world. Sadie interrupted him with an impatient shake of her head. Don't talk nonsense, Dr. Douglas, if you can help it. I don't feel innocent at all, just now at least, and I have no particular faith to shake. If I had, I hope you would not consider it such a flimsy material as to be shaken by anything which you have said as yet. I certainly have heard no arguments. Occasionally I think of these matters, and I have been surprised, and not a little puzzled, to note the strange inconsistency existing between the profession and practice of these people. If you have any explanation, I would like to hear it. That is all. Clearly this man must use at least a semblance of sense if he were going to continue this conversation. His answer was grave and guarded. I have offered no arguments, nor do I mean to. I was apologizing for having touched upon this matter at all. I am unfortunate in my belief, or rather disbelief, but it is no part of my intention to press it upon others. I incline to the opinion that there are some very good, nice, pleasant people in the world, whom the accidents of birth and education have taught to believe that they are aided in this goodness and pleasantness by a more than human power, and this belief rather helps than otherwise to mature their naturally sweet, pure lives. My explanation of their seeming inconsistencies is, that they have never realized the full moral force of the rules which they profess to follow. I divide the world into two distinct classes. The so-called Christian world, I mean. Those whom I have just named constitute one class, and the other is composed of unmitigated hypocrites. Now, my friend, I have talked longer on this subject than I like, or than I ought. I beg you will forget all I have said, and give me some music to close the scene." Sadie laughed and ran her fingers lightly over the keys, but she asked, In which class do you place your brother in the profession, doctor? Dr. Douglas drew his shoulder into a very slight, though expressive, shrug as he answered, 
it is exceedingly proper and also rather rare for a physician to be eminent not only for skill but piety and my brother practitioner is a wise and wary man who and here he paused abruptly miss reed he added after a moment in an entirely changed tone which of us is at fault to-night you or myself that i seem bent on making uncharitable remarks i really did not imagine myself so totally depraved and to be serious i am very sorry that this style of conversation was ever commenced i did not intend it i do not believe in interfering with the beliefs or controverting the opinions of others apparently sadie had recovered her good humor for her laugh was as light and careless as usual when she made answer don't distress yourself unnecessarily dr douglas you haven't done me the least harm i assure you i don't believe a word you say and i do you the honor of believing that you don't credit more than two-thirds of it yourself now i'm going to play you the stormiest piece of music you have ever heard in your life and the keys rattled and rang under her touch and drew half a dozen loungers from the halls to the parlor and effectually ended the conversation three people belonging to that household held each a conversation with their own thoughts that night which to finite eyes would have aided the right wonderfully had it been said before the assembled three instead of in the quiet and privacy of their own rooms sadie had calmed down and as a natural consequence was somewhat ashamed of herself and as she rolled up and pinned and otherwise snugged her curls into order for the night scolded herself after this fashion sadie reed you made a simpleton of yourself in that speech which you made to dr van anden tonight because you think a man interferes with what doesn't concern him is no reason why you should grow flushed and angry and forget that you're a lady you said some very rude and insulting words and you know your poor dear mother would tell you so if she knew anything about it which she won't that's one comfort and besides you have probably offended those delightful black ponies and it will be forever before they will take you another ride and that's worse than all the rest but who would think of dr van anden being such a man i wish dr douglas had gone to europe before he told me it was rather pleasant to believe in the extreme goodness of somebody i wonder how much of that nonsense which dr douglas talks he believes anyway perhaps he is half right only i'm not going to think any such thing because it would be wicked and i'm good and because in a graver tone and with a little reverent touch of the old worn book which lay on her bureau this is my father's bible and he lived and died by its precepts up another flight of stairs in his own room dr douglas lighted his cigar fixed himself comfortably in his armchair with his feet on the dressing-table and between the puffs talked after this fashion sorry we ran into this miserable train of talk to-night but that young witch leads a man on so i'm glad she has a decided mind of her own one feels less conscious stricken i'm what they call a skeptic myself but after all i don't quite like to see a lady become one i shan't lead her astray i wouldn't have said anything to-night if it hadn't been for that miserable hypocrite of a van anden the fellow must learn not to pitch into me if he wants to be let alone but i doubt if he accomplished much this time what a witch she is and dr douglas removed his cigar long enough to give vent to a hearty laugh in remembrance of some of sadie's remarks just across the hall dr van anden sat before his table one hand partly shading his eyes from the gaslight while he read 
and the words which he read were these, O let not the oppressed returned ashamed, let the poor and needy praise thy name. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause, remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies, the tumult of those that rise up against thee increaseth continually. Something troubled the doctor to-night. His usually grave face was tinged with sadness. Presently he arose and paced with slow measured tread up and down the room. I ought to have done it, he said at last. I ought to have told her mother that he was in many ways an unsafe companion for Sadie, especially in this matter. He is a very cautious, guarded, fascinating skeptic, all the more fascinating because he will be careful not to shock her taste with any boldly spoken errors. I should have warned them. How came I to shrink so miserably from my duty? What mattered it that they would be likely to ascribe a wrong motive to my caution? It was none the less my duty on that account. And the sad look deepened on his face as he marched slowly back and forth. But he was nearer a solution of his difficulties than was either of those others, for at last he came over to his chair again and sank before it on his knees. Now let us understand these three people, each of them, in their separate ways, were making mistakes. Sadie had said that she was not going to believe any of the nonsense which Dr. Douglas talked. She honestly supposed that she was not influenced in the least. And yet she was mistaken. The poison had entered her soul. As the days passed on, she found herself more frequently cavilling over the shortcomings of professing Christians, more quick to detect their mistakes and failures, more willing to admit the half-uttered thought that this entire matter might be a smooth-sounding fable. Sadie was the child of many prayers, and her father's much-used Bible lay on her dressing-table, speaking for him, now that his tongue was silent in the grave. So she did not quite yield to the enemy, but she was walking in the way of temptation, and the Christian tongues around her, which the grave had not silenced, yet remained as mute as though their lips were already sealed, and so the path in which Sadie walked grew daily broader and more dangerous. Then there was Dr. Douglas, not by any means the worst man that the world can produce. He was, or fancied himself to be, a skeptic. Like many a young man, wise in his own conceit, he had no very distinct idea of what he was skeptical about, nor to what heights of illogical nonsense his own supposed views carried out would lead him. Like many other, too, he had studied rhetoric and logic and mathematics and medicine thoroughly and well. He would have hesitated long and studied hard and pondered deeply before he had ventured to dispute an established point in surgery, and yet, with an inconsistent folly of the age, he had absurdly set his seal to the falsity of the Bible, after giving it, at most, but a careless reading here and there, and without having ever once honestly made use of the means by which God has promised to enlighten the seekers after knowledge. And yet, his eyes being blinded, he did not realize how absurd and unreasonable, how utterly foolish, was his conduct. He thought himself sincere, he had no desire to lead Sadie astray from her early education, and, like most skeptical natures, he quite prided himself upon the care with which he guarded his peculiar views, although I could never see why that was being any other than miserably selfish or inconsistent, for it is saying, in effect, one of two things. Either, my belief is sacred to myself alone, and nobody else shall have the benefit of it if I can help it, or else, 
I am very much ashamed of my position as a skeptic, and I shall keep it to myself as much as possible. Be that as it may, Dr. Douglas so thought, and was sincere in his attentions to do Sadie no harm. Yet, as the days came and went, he was continually doing her injury. They were much in each other's society, and the subject which he meant should be avoided was constantly intruding. Both were so constantly on the alert to see and hear the unwise and inconsistent and unchristian acts and words, and also, alas, there were so many to be seen and heard, that these two made rapid strides in the broad road. Finally there was Dr. Van Anden, carrying about with him a sad and heavy heart. He could but feel that he had shrunken from his duty, hidden behind the most miserable of all excuses, what will people think? If Dr. Douglas had had any title but that particular one prefixed to his name, he would not have hesitated to have advised Mrs. Reed concerning him. But how could he endure the suspicion that he was jealous of Dr. Douglas? Then, in trying to right the wrong, by warning Sadie, he was made to realize, as many a poor Christian has realized before him, that he was making the sacrifice too late and in vain. There was yet another thing. Dr. Douglas's statements to Sadie had been colored with truth. Among his other honest mistakes was the belief that Dr. Van Anden was a hypocrite. They had clashed in former years. Dr. Douglas had been most in the wrong, though what man, unhelped by Christ, was ever known to believe this of himself? But there had been wrong also on the other side, hasty words spoken, words which rankled and were ranking still after the lapse of years. Dr. Van Anden had never said, I should not have spoken thus, I am sorry. He had taught himself to believe that it would be an unnecessary humiliation for him to say this to a man who had so deeply wronged him. But, to do our doctor justice, time had healed the wound with him. It was not personal enmity which prompted his warning, neither had he any idea of the injury which those sharp words of his were doing in the unsanctified heart. And when he dropped upon his knees that night, he prayed earnestly for the conversion of Sadie and Dr. Douglas. So these three lived their lives under the same roof, and guessed not what the end might be. End of chapter 12 Recording by Tricia G.